pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome into another episode of the Prospect Podcast. We are in the throes of NFL training camp. Just started this week. Yesterday, almost every team around the league started with pads, and that is significantly different. No pads is all for the skill position players. You hear about a lot of edge rushers and defensive tackles uh, that are faring really well without pads on. It's a completely different ballgame. It's real football with the pads on. Hopefully there's not too many more injuries. It seemed like we had a rash of them, especially in Indianapolis, and I'll get to that team later in this episode. I want to just go over news and notes and my thoughts on a lot of young players from what I've just been able to gather, scouring Twitter like everyone else probably listening to this podcast has been doing. Uh, just to give some thoughts there and some recent articles that I've written at CVS Sports along with what I have coming down the pipe. Pike? Pipe? I always say pipe. I don't know which one it is. Anyway, at CBSSports.com, getting close to diving incredibly deep into, of course, the 2022 draft class. I've watched a bunch of players already, uh, and I'm preliminarily putting them into my grading system. I'm not watching their entire 2020 season because that's, for me, the f- second to last season does not factor in much, if at all, into a final grade. It is really, I, I'm a last season type of grader. I know a lot of people like to watch, especially quarterbacks might be a little different for me. Um, they like to watch three or four years if a player has played that long. If you're projecting forward, even in the NFL, you're not going to look at someone, uh, how well they played two or two or three years ago. So to me, it never really makes sense to look at uh, what someone did in years past, unless there's a major injury or a change of school, something like that. But anyway, I, I will have, of course, on this podcast and at CBS Sports, some preview content before the college football season kicks off later this month. And the college football is going to look pretty close to normal around the country, especially the Southeast and the uh, South part of the country. Um, And really almost everywhere it's, we're going to have fans back. And then a few weeks later, we're going to have fans back in NFL stadiums. Yes. Yes. To see like, it, it was weird watching film last year at the college level that dead silence in rivalry games and even in the NFL, like it was just a strange season last year without fans. It's such a big part of the game. And I think it factors into players performance to get juiced up when you're at home, when you make a big play or to not have a raucous road crowd 
to go up against when you're a quarterback on the road or an offensive line or receiver. You can hear everything. You can hear the audibles and the checks at the line. So we're in for pretty close to a normal football season, hopefully. Hopefully this Delta variant with COVID doesn't get out of control. Um, We obviously have a ton of people vaccinated. So I think we should be good. So going to the news and notes, I'm just going to like – I'm not going to be the guy telling you the news and the notes because I figure if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty a pretty hardcore football fan and you are sitting there on Twitter checking out what's going on. Just some young players on each team uh, that have really stood out to me that I've seen uh, over the week-ish of training camp starting and with pads being put on. Just some further thoughts on beyond just the tweets that I've seen from those beat reporters that are there at every practice. I'll start with the Buffalo Bills, and I'm just using ourlads.com, the best NFL depth chart site on the internet. The Bills are in the top left. The AFC East is listed first. Um, the Buffalo Bills, of course, a Super Bowl contending team in the AFC title game last year. Uh, of the last 10 AFC title game losers, the following year, four went on to win the Super Bowl. Four separate times, the Patriots were, were two of those teams, um, and seven of ten made the playoffs. And that was a stat from Josh Reed of uh, Channel 4 News here in Buffalo. Tweeted that out. I thought that was really interesting. So, of course, this is a uh, Super Bowl contending team, and it's a team that's pretty difficult for a lot of these young players to make waves because of how loaded and how deep this roster is. Spencer Brown, the third-round pick out of Northern Iowa, I wasn't as high on him. I, I wouldn't have picked him in the third round. He's gotten some reps at tackle because Deion Dawkins, the starting left tackle, uh, is out with or because of the COVID protocols. He, he got coronavirus. Uh, so he's gotten some reps, and it's been kind of up and down. He's had some good reps, uh, but there's certainly been times where against counter moves and more speed around the corner, he's had some struggles. And that's not surprising, but I think a best-case scenario for Spencer Brown not only coming from Northern Iowa, although he is gigantic, he's like 6'9", and he's a crazy athlete, he didn't play in 2020. That school did not have a football season. So to be a swing tackle as a rookie, I think that would be uh, huge for him. Now, Gregory Rousseau, before the pads went on, there was some talk like every day it was, would have had another sack, would have had another sack on team dr- or in team drills. Haven't seen as or didn't hear as much yesterday during the first Bills padded practice. And I think that's where the problems will lie with Gregory Rousseau. That if football was a game that there was no contact, no pads on, Rousseau could hit the ground running. But when it comes to power and bull rushing ability and converting that burst to any type of strength or, or power at the point of attack, that's what, the main reason why I thought he needed basically a redshirt season, even though he was a first-round pick. The sky, I guess, is the limit for him. Didn't test very well at the Miami Pro Day, but insanely long. And he's a finisher. I mean, to have 15 and a half sacks as a true freshman shows that Rousseau knows what you need to do in those waning seconds of the play to bring a quarterback to the turf because the Bills had one of the best pass rushes last season in the NFL when it came to pressures that – they were so deep on their defensive line, and it's become classic Sean McDermott-type defense to be rotational up front and be really good getting after the passer. But Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison had like five sacks. That was it. Uh, there was just not a lot of sacks. And Brandon Bean has come out and said, their GM, that 
that AFC title game, there's they still it left that bad taste in their mouth, and they're still aware that in that game, they pressured Mahomes somewhat, but they were not able to really get him down on a routine basis. That's why they probably went back-to-back edge rushers in the first two rounds of the draft. Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham, through the beginning of training camp, had a batted pass that he returned for a touchdown on an interception. Uh, I think he's more NFL ready. I think you will see him in the rotation earlier and being more impactful than Gregory Rousseau. I don't know if there's anyone else that really sticks out with the Buffalo Bills, so I'll move on in terms of rookies, uh, young players, of course. Gabriel Davis, second year out of UCF, picked him in the fourth round last year. I had a second-round grade on him. Uh, I think he's going to be a staple in this offense. I think with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, he's never going to be a 125-target type of wide receiver. Could he get 75 targets, 80 targets? Maybe. The Bills are going to throw it a lot. They, they've come out and said that, and they have Josh Allen at quarterback. He plays in the slot. He can play outside because he's bigger. He's a little stronger. Can make some acrobatic catches near the sideline. Some drops at times, I think, were the main issue with his season last year. But he had a really good season uh, as a rookie. So uh, the Bills, again, not a team that has a ton of young players in key roles. Uh, just looking around the league, how about the Baltimore Ravens? Staying in the AFC, Rashad Bateman. There's that video that went viral a few days ago, or kind of viral, I guess, in in my Twitterverse, went viral of Rashad Bateman absolutely cooking Marlon Humphrey, an elite cornerback, down the field for a long ball. Now, Humphrey is not your traditional elite corner that he's not on the outside all the time. He's not press man in your face. That's all he does. He's an elite corner because he can bump inside and play nickel and play it very well. And that's not the case with really any other top-tier cornerback. So to face a bigger, more physical wide receiver, it's not the most surprising that in one one one-on-one rep, he lost and was burned down the field. But Bateman is super talented. He, to me, and I'm not going to say that this is how I think Rashad Bateman's season is going to go, he was like the Justin Jefferson of the 2021 draft class. That I infamously was not very high on Justin Jefferson because – They only used him in the slot. I thought a lot of his production at LSU was the byproduct of having Joe Burrow and his hyper accuracy at quarterback, and he was just schemed open. He had Jamar Chase next to him and Terrace Marshall and Clyde Clyde Edwards-Hilaire underneath. Then in Minnesota, he just because he was just good at everything, good at route, good running routes, uh, good in those contested catch situations. Um, separated on a regular basis, good after the catch, just kind of reminded me of Rashad Bateman watching him not only in 2019 at Minnesota when he really broke out, but last year at limited sample size before he decided to opt out at the end of the season. I think at this point for Lamar Jackson, uh, the Ravens have done enough to add Sammy Watkins, have Marquise Brown a first-round pick, another first-round pick at receiver Rashad Bateman. Uh, They've invested in the wide receiver spot and certainly tight ends where year four for Lamar Jackson, if he doesn't take a big step, uh, I still think he'll get a contract from them because his scrambling ability and what he could be doing in the design run game every week is not going to go away anytime soon. It's not going to diminish from what he brings to the field. He'll probably get a big contract, but there'll be some questions about whether or not in a conference with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, 
and Justin Herbert, and even if you want to throw in the same division, Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, will Lamar Jackson be able to ever do enough aerially to win a Super Bowl in Baltimore? I think he can, but at this point, not that he has the best wide receiver group in the league, it's still relatively young, but I think they've done enough in Baltimore where at the end of the season, if Lamar Jackson doesn't take a noticeable step forward, he can't say, oh, well, my receivers aren't very good, and there won't really be enough ground to stand on for any media member or fan to say, hey, well, his receivers aren't great. I think they're they're pretty solid. We saw Josh Allen take a noticeable step from rookie year to year two just by adding John Brown and Cole Beasley to what was, in 2018, a terrible, probably bottom three wide receiver group in football. Any other teams? Okay, just scrolling through the AFC here on OurLads.com. Indianapolis Colts. I'm going to pause here for a second because I wrote earlier in the week at CBSSports.com on Jacob Eason. Carson Wentz is going to be out 5 to 12 weeks. That's like the longest range that I've ever heard for an NFL injury. That makes me think uh, Carson Wentz might be November-ish before he's onto the field. I wrote on Jacob Eason. He was my number 5 quarterback in the 2020 draft class. And I tweeted this, and I truly believe it. I think in terms of pure arm strength, maybe not arm talent, the ability to throw off platform and throw with your when your feet aren't sad, throw across your body, not that. Arm strength, Jacob Eason has a top five arm in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason, and I'm forgetting someone. Not Carson Wentz. I don't think Cam Newton's really there. Oh, either Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers. Those are the top top five strongest arms in football. I like the fact, too, that Jacob Eason has had a year, he had a full redshirt season last year, in Frank Reich's very quarterback-friendly system that has produced really good results for mostly pocket quarterbacks like Andrew Luck and Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, Phillip Rivers in San Diego and last season, or in Los Angeles, when Frank Rick was the quarterback coach there and, and the offensive coordinator. That's what Jacob Beeson is. He is a big, classic, cannon-armed quarterback who can move around a little. I think he's a little bit more spry than Carson Wentz, but he's not going to be a designed run game quarterback or someone who is going to regularly improvise and pick up big chunks of yardage with his legs. But in a system that is quarterback friendly because the head coach is a former NFL quarterback, but it's also a system that we've seen accentuates a quarterback getting the football out in a hurry. That Andrew Luck was always early in his career under Bruce Arians uh, and, and, and like some of those other quarterback or those other head coaches and offensive coordinators in Indianapolis, one of the highest time quarterbacks in terms of average time to throw. And then in 2018, the year before he retired, had a great season and was one of the lowest quarterbacks, finished ninth in that category in terms of being the fastest to get rid of the football. We know that it's just it's a pure West Coast system, and you could kind of draw a line to – 
well, maybe West Coast isn't the best for Jacob Eason. He should be stretching it vertically. But conversely, he's not very good under pressure. And when he has to improvise, I think maybe because he understands that he's not a great athlete, kind of hurried things at Washington under pressure. His feet would get all messed up, uh, would not have his feet set very often. And a lot of that velocity would be sapped from what is, again, a top five arm in the NFL. So I, I think, and the offensive line is very good. The running game is solid. They're not going to ask Jacob Eason to do too much. I think when you're in a scenario where you're either a rookie quarterback or you're starting for the first time, if you're asked to do a lot, if your defense is really bad, and I don't think the Colts defense is amazing, but it's it's a top half of the league defense. And your offensive line isn't good. They want you to make plays off structure all the time, or your running game isn't good. They want you to throw it 50 times a game. That's when the problems arise, where the game is just happening too fast. But that's not going to be the case for Jacob Eason. And I think watching his film at Washington, and even a little bit at Georgia in that true freshman season uh, in 2017, 2017, 2016, um, 2016, I saw someone that when the pocket was clean, he not only was ripping balls all over the field in the SEC and the Pac-12, but he was very accurate. Like there was a lot of velocity and then touch on those slot fades down the field or on those post routes. They weren't just rifle shots every time. The intermediate level, he can fit it in to tight windows. Check that article out at cbssports.com on Jacob Eason or just Google CBS Sports Chris Trapasso. You'll get my archive of all my articles at CBS. It's the top one uh, on there right now. Jacob Eason, I think, is in a scenario that it's a good blend of his talent and the situation that he can thrive in in Indianapolis. However, having said that, I tweeted out this article yesterday or two days ago. And then yesterday we hear that all-pro guard Quentin Nelson has the same injury as Carson Wentz. He's going to be out 5 to 12 weeks as well. And, man, I mean, foot injuries in in the NFL in general are not good. But to be a power-blocking guard that's pretty awesome on the move, a foot injury is really scary. I don't really know what position isn't scary to have a foot injury. Maybe, like, if you're a run-stopping nose tackle, but Quentin Nelson, he's not the most agile guard in football, but he's arguably been the best guard in football since he entered the NFL in 2018. Definitely has asserted himself into that top three or four group over the past couple years. That complicates things. It's not that I want to like issue a retraction on the Jacob Eason article that I wrote, but it, it changes how I feel about his situation. Because to have such a good offensive line and then take away the best blocker on that offensive line. And early on in the season, they play like the Rams, the Seahawks, the Dolphins, the Titans. Teams with pretty good defenses. Not necessarily the Titans based on last year, but they added a lot in free agency and the draft. But to face Aaron Donald and to have to face Brian Flores' defense that blitzes a ton early on without Quentin Nelson, eh, it's a little tough. Let's see that Colts schedule. I remember seeing it somewhere and was like, man, that is not an easy start, especially without Quentin Nelson. Start with the Seahawks, Rams in week two, Colts week three, Dolphins week four, Ravens, the blitz happiest team in the NFL. Get a little layup with the Texans at home, 
49ers on the road at night in primetime against Nick Bosa. Yikes. After that, things get a little easier. Titans at home, Jets at home, Jaguars at home. Have to go on the road to the Bills in late November. Not ideal. So I, I still think the talent and the situation are pretty good because Frank Reich, I think, can mask a quarterback's inefficiencies when it comes to reading coverages and reacting to coverages. And I, I don't love the Colts' receiver group, but the tight ends are pretty solid. The running game is very good. Probably probably will take a little bit of a hit without Quentin Nelson. And Jacob Beeson is very talented. He is a big-time talent. I think the fact that he only had one full season, or I guess he had two, but uh, he played in 2016, and then we didn't see him again for a while. Uh, one year as the Washington starter and completed 64.2% of his passes, if he was able to stay one more season, uh, I think we would have seen him go in the second maybe third round. He goes in the fourth. I thought that was outstanding value because the arm talent is there and he does not have a major issue with accuracy. It's when he feels he needs to scramble and when he's under pressure. That's kind of the book on almost every young quarterback. So get to CBS Sports, read that article. There's a lot of gifts in there. I should have added that earlier because people like those film gifts. To show his strengths and his weaknesses, there's some advanced stats about the Colts' offense, Frank Reich's philosophies, tendencies on offense, and just the fact that I think this is a, although he doesn't really fit the mold of this improvisational strong-arm quarterback, the arm talent is absolutely there. And he's more of a strong-arm quarterback than an Aaron Rodgers, flick it sidearm, Matt Stafford, no-look type of guy. But Easton is talented, and I think that, that situation, I remember mocking Jacob Eason to the Colts a bunch in the 2020 pre-draft process because that situation as a backup sitting for a year was ideal. And whether that was going to be behind Phillip Rivers or whoever it was, uh, Jacoby Brissett at the time, sitting behind any one of those quarterbacks with Frank Reich, with that offensive line was a great scenario. See, any other AFC rookies, young players? Trevor Lawrence has been up and down a little bit. That's not surprising. I think I think he's going to be a quarterback as a rookie that throws a fair amount of interceptions. Because, And I'm not going to hate that. I like the fact that at Clemson, especially last year, when he didn't have T. Higgins, he didn't have Justin Ross, uh, his top receiver was Amari Rodgers. He didn't really change his style. He didn't check down all the time. He was still making that seam throw. Uh, through traffic over a linebacker in front of a safety, taking risks down the field, under pressure, taking a hit. I think that's going to happen. The skill position group around him is pretty good. It's not amazing, but Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark, Travis Etienne, I, I think it's James Robinson, 1,000-yard running back returning, an improving but not great offensive line. I, I think there's going to be definitely some ups because the talent is undeniable, and he – Probably could have started in the NFL at 19 years old. There's going to be some downs, though, too, because I think this is a team that will probably take another year to be able to build up the offensive line, add another weapon offensively, and that will align with when Trevor Lawrence will get some of the bad decisions and understand how to rein it in a little bit, his aggression, and 
maybe check it down or throw it away when he wants to naturally pull the trigger and like what he did at Clemson in the ACC. But I'm fine with that. I'd rather have a quarterback over-aggressive than ultra-conservative. And I think that's Trevor Lawrence is, I don't know about ultra-aggressive, but he's not coming on the football field to check it down. On third and eight, he's looking for a pass that's beyond the sticks. He's not Alex Smith. He's not Trent Edwards, just using a Bills reference. Uh, so I've read some tweets that he's thrown a couple interceptions. Uh, he's looked somewhat human at, time, human at times. I bet it is pretty humid down there too. Trevor Lawrence, don't be surprised, double-digit interceptions, but a fair amount of touchdowns too. I mean, I guess for a rookie, double-digit interceptions like isn't out of the realm of possibility. Any other young players? What's going on with the Raiders, by the way? They're having a bunch of assistant coaches and guys in the uh, front office retiring. I, I don't I don't understand what's going on there. Is there about to be a bombshell report about ownership? John Gruden, Mike Mayak, I'm not saying that I know anything, but just weird when right before the season there's a bunch of guys retiring. Unless maybe they were just in their in their 60s and wanted to call quits. I don't know. But that's a team that had that mass exodus, if you remember, on the offensive line this season, trading Rodney Hudson, an elite center, arguably the best center over the past decade in the NFL, to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Trent Traded Trent Brown back to the Patriots. Uh, that offensive line is... Still has some good pieces. Colton Miller, the left tackle that they recently extended, former first-round pick, 2018. But I think part of the reason why Derek Carr has had good statistical seasons over the past couple of years, the offensive line's been fantastic. Like, say what you want about how bad the defense has been, and it has been bad, and it's put them in bad situations. The offensive skill position group has been up and down. I think a lot of the reason why Derek Carr has been so good is because the offensive line has protected him, and he is not someone you want under pressure very often. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Okay, moving over to the NFC. I'm just looking at this list. Not a rookie, but draft CeeDee Lamb. Looking at the Dallas Cowboys depth chart. He was quietly very, very good from the slot last season. It kind of flew under the radar because Andy Dalton threw him passes for a fair amount of the year. But I think we've seen, it seems like every day at the start of Cowboys training camp, I've seen a different one-handed catch or him mossing a cornerback down the field for a touchdown. 
that's what he did at Oklahoma. And I think after the catch, CeeDee Lamb was the best in that very hyped 2020 draft class. Better than Jerry Judy, anyone else that went in that first or second round, even Justin Jefferson. I think after the catch, contact balance, short area quickness, burst, CeeDee Lamb was the best in that area. And he runs good routes. They're going to use him in the slot. He has all that space. There's going to be attention on Amari Cooper. I think Michael Gallup is the best and most underrated number three receiver in football. He's in a contract year. Dak Prescott is back. Draft CeeDee Lamb. And draft him around early in your fantasy draft. Don't wait and then see him get scooped up five or six picks before you. Even if you feel like it's too early, draft CeeDee Lamb. I think he's in it for a gigantic, huge season. Micah Parsons, uh, there's been some reports, the first-round pick linebacker out of Penn State, that they're not really using him that much in coverage. He's kind of half off-ball linebacker, half edge rusher. That makes perfect sense because that's what Micah Parsons is. I, at this point, would not want Micah Parsons lining up against a tight end and running down the seam or trying to track any tight end in the NFL, especially a top-tier guy in coverage. That's not his game. He did not do that a lot at Penn State. For as much as he was lauded for his athleticism, I think that was more about his explosion and his power than it was someone that can change directions very fluidly. And he has like legitimate edge rusher skills around the corner. Like he's like 6'3, 240. He's like a stand up outside linebacker that rushes the passer. Spin move, bull rush, swipe move. Like he understands how to beat blockers with his athletic. Arsenal and with a pass rush move to a box that is way advanced for most off-ball linebackers. Anyone else in the NFC East, young players, predominantly rookies? Haven't heard much about Kadarius Toney. Devontae Smith, it's a bummer with the Eagles that he has a knee sprain. He's going to be out for a little bit. It probably won't be an issue. DK Metcalf had that injury early in camp uh, last year or, or early in the season. Uh, or maybe that was his rookie season. I'm kind of forgetting these guys are growing up so fast that DK Metcalf's already entering his third year. Um, I don't think it'll be a huge problem for Devontae Smith, although his game is predicated on speed and agility and subtle movement to create separation. Uh, so I guess it's worth monitoring. And that's a team that I think is not going to be very good. I, I'm not super high on Jalen Hurts, relatively young player, entering his second season. I think he's still got a way to go as a passer. But I think in general, Doug Peterson does a good job making it pretty quarterback friendly. A lot of bootlegs, a lot of play action, easy throws into the flat, a lot of RPOs. That's what Jalen Hurts did at Alabama and especially at Oklahoma. But it's a bummer to not have his first-round pick wide receiver, even for camp and even for the start of, of the preseason. And we know Jalen Rager flashed late, the first-round pick last year, but he was sidelined with, what, a toe injury last year for a long time or finger, something not majorly significant in terms of running routes, but it held him back. His development was stunted, not only going through his rookie offseason during a pandemic, but then he was injured early on. It really halted what he could do uh, you know, in the early stages of his rookie year. In Chicago, Justin Fields needs to start week one. I am really not sick of, but it's like funny to me, these 
head coaches want to act so politically correct. They draft a quarterback in the first round. The team trades up for a quarterback, and they say, and I'm kind of talking to the 49ers here too with Trey Lance, oh, we're going to sit the rookie. He's, he's not ready. We're not going to – I mean, I guess you don't come out and say he's our week one starter on draft night, but come on. Andy Dalton cannot start the season for the Bears, and if he does by week two or week three, he needs to be out. Give Justin Fields – the reins of this offense. This is not someone like a Mark Sanchez or a Mitchell Trubisky that ha- that has like one year of starting experience and is like 20 years old coming into the NFL. He started for two full seasons at Ohio State and was insanely productive and looked like a franchise quarterback in the Big Ten and playing in the college football playoffs and even in that national title game loss to Alabama. The arm strength is there, the improvisation ability – the accuracy, the smarts, the decision-making, all fantastic. The Detroit Lions are going to be the most compelling bad team in football because Dan Campbell is the head coach. He's going to roll out 40 runs a game, jumbo sets. I don't think it's going to work, especially when there are more and more teams that are getting those edges by tapping into analytics and embracing the numbers movement in the NFL, it doesn't seem like Dan Campbell's team is going to be like that. Haven't heard much about Penny Sewell, but this, again, yesterday was the first day of, of padded practice when Penny Sewell can start burying people. I'm in Ross St. Brown, haven't heard, much, haven't heard much about him either. Green Bay Packers, I won't talk about the Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love stuff because that I'm kind of like mad that that was a thing for this whole offseason and then like, Right before camp, it was a complete 180. And like, oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to report. Everything's fine. Like, that was that was strange to me. Minnesota Vikings, the team that I believe at time of recording this, had the lowest vaccination rate in the NFL. And this is not a political rant here, but Mike Zimmer's mad about it. Legit mad. And for him to come out, and I think Mike Zimmer, he can be very politically correct, but when Mike Zimmer is unfiltered, and just comes out with what he really means, that's the best Mike Zimmer. He did that a lot as a defensive coordinator in Cincinnati. He's done it at times in Minnesota. And like sometimes it's like he's mad at the media for covering a bad team or whatever. But just hearing those press conference uh, nuggets from him, those sound bites, have been really awesome to see a head coach that's not afraid to be a little candid. Atlanta Falcons, Kyle Pitts. Unsurprisingly, I've seen some video from camp that he has been winning over the middle, high-pointing the football. I think he's in for a huge rookie year. He's one of – I don't know where I had him. It's my offensive rookie of the year uh, rankings that came out in like in May or June, but they were like he was near the top. I think Calvin Ridley is going to get his targets, but they're going to throw Kyle Pitts the football. There's no Julio Jones. Matt Ryan is still a top 10 to 15 quarterback. Certainly produces – 65 uh, 65% completion, 4,000 yards, 20 to 30 touchdowns, 25 to 35 touchdowns. Like That's what you can pencil Matt Ryan in for every year. The defense, I think, has a ways to go. The Saints are interesting because it seems more and more like Taysom Hill. That's the direction Sean Payton wants to go. But I just can't imagine him. I cannot fathom him starting the entire season. And this Saints team being like a, a top of the NFC team like they've been for the like they were for the entire Drew Brees era. I think Jameis Winston ultimately needs to be the quarterback there in New Orleans. 
Tampa Bay, not a lot of young players uh, making a lot of impact. Although Bruce Arians, I saw a tweet early in the week, or maybe it was late last week, that Joe Tryon, their first-round pick, an opt-out from Washington, had started off very well. Now, this was before pads. And like I said, Gregory Rousseau looked amazing pre-pads as well. Joe Tryon is a speed-around-the-corner type. Didn't see a lot of pass rushing moves, but he's big. He's physical. I want to see what happens when offensive tackles can really put their hands on him. But that's worth noting because that's obviously a super deep, elite pass rushing unit with Vita Vea and Shaq Barrett and Dominican Sue. Even William Golston, who's been around forever out of Michigan State, turned in a career year last season to add Joe Tryon to that group. Pretty impressive. Especially if Tryon ultimately just can produce on 30 or 40 snaps a game as a pure pass rusher. The Rams lose Cam Akers a few weeks ago for the season. Daryl Henderson is probably going to be the lead back. There was some news that came out that Sean McVay said it's going to be a running back by committee approach. It's not news. Every team is running back by committee. There's outside of the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry, every team wants two or three running backs to get a fair amount of carries, to split it up throughout each game, throughout the season, and hopefully for those teams, if they get in the playoffs, to have fresh legs at the running back spot. And then in San Francisco, I'll end this portion. The 49ers with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. What I thought was fascinating, Adam Schefter tweeted yesterday a quote that Kyle Shanahan, the head coach for the 49ers, said, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing as well as he has played since coming into this organization. That's paraphrasing, but that's basically what it said. But what I've seen on Twitter is that Garoppolo has not had a good start to training camp. I think, and Joe Banner, the former GM who's on Twitter now, kind of a media type, tweeted my exact thoughts. So I had to retweet him yesterday that he's like, the 49ers are getting ready to trade him. They want the most trade value as possible. It would make no sense for Kyle Shanahan to come out and say, yeah, Jimmy doesn't look too good. I think we're leaning toward Trey Lance. It's like every week, and I know that social media accounts are not run by the coaches and they can kind of do their own thing independently, although like they're they're all under the same umbrella working for the same organization. They're tweeting out an insane video of Trey Lance like throwing the ball off his back foot under pressure like 40 yards downfield. I saw a funny one the other day of a like half-speed bootleg drill. Bootleg to the to the right, Jimmy Garoppolo throws a little check down for five yards. Same thing, next rep, Trey Lance, bootlegs, and he like rips it 25 yards to a like a deeper target. And the ball just comes out of their hands completely differently. Although we were expecting that, to see it happen live in training camp is something else. I think it's a similar scenario, not exactly the same, but a similar scenario to what's going on in Chicago. Trey Lance should start earlier, sooner rather than later. And about two months ago, I thought, ah, maybe not. Maybe, you know, Kyle Shanahan likes his quarterbacks to follow his distinct design of his offense. Jimmy G, when he was healthy, was in the Super Bowl, um, wasn't healthy last season. Maybe they won't trade him. And maybe Trey Lance will not be on the field until October or November. But at this rate, Trey Lance should probably be starting sometime in September if not week one, because the 49ers are going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it be to the Colts or any other team. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know if there will be any any other injuries, of course, but Jimmy Garoppolo could probably fetch a decent amount right now. Uh, he's got that big contract. Yeah, I, I think similar to Chicago, Trey Lance needs to be on the field. The the offense, though, and I included this in my article a couple of months ago on my offensive rookie of the year odds. The offensive playbook might not be the full thing with with Trey Lance as a starter, but it's it's so quarterback friendly. Nick Mullins and uh, Brian Hoyer in the past, and a lot of other lesser quarterbacks were able to look decently competent, at least for a couple quarters or a couple games under Kyle Shanahan. They have a good offensive line. The run game is going to be good. He'll throw in whatever running back. doesn't matter, just like his dad in Denver. They'll be very efficient on the ground. The defense is going to be a lot better. George Kittle's back. Debo Samuel's back. you got Brandon Ayuk. Two first round, or a first rounder, a second rounder that should have gone in the first round, and then an elite tight end, the second best tight end in football. This some of the best tight end in football. I think he's the best after the catch. He's better than Kelsey after the catch. Back on the field. So Bears desperately need to start Justin Fields immediately. And the 49ers are seemingly leaning toward Trey Lance earlier than I expected, like about two months ago. All right, in terms of what's ahead, I like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I do have some 2022 draft class content coming your way at cbssports.com and on this podcast. I'm going to look at the next wave of Alabama first-round picks, potential first-round picks. You know, over the last two years, they've only had 10 first-round selections in 2020 and the 2021 draft, six just a few months ago from Alabama went in the first round. So we got to look at that roster and say, who are the three-ish, three to four that are going to go in round one? That's what the average has been since 2009, that three Alabama players get picked in the first round. And it's been more, of course, over the past few years as it moved from being a defensive factory and a you know defensive tackle you and linebacker you and cornerback and safety you to wide receiver you and quarterback you and offensive line you. I mean, I don't know if they're all of those positions, if they can stay claim to being the universities, quote unquote, uh, for all those top prospects, but we've definitely seen. And it starts with the receivers, Judy and Ruggs, and then Tua, and then Mac Jones, and then Devontae Smith and Waddle. An offensive-minded program, too, in terms of top, tier elite first round top half of the first round prospects that it delivers that will be coming out soon and then into next week uh, more training camp stuff young player analysis and as we get into the preseason i'll have some young nfl player stuff like i just said and we'll be really close to the start of the college football season i'll have some previews at the wide receiver position at cbssports.com along with this prospect podcast. Remember to follow me on Instagram. It's kind of personal account for me, but I do a lot of my NFL um, analysis on there as well. Videos, uh, podcast snippets, and definitely follow me on TikTok. I've really grown to like TikTok in terms of how easy it is and how many features there are to shoot a video. I love it. Follow me on TikTok at Chris Paso, and do not forget to hit that subscribe button, like, Whatever you need to do, comment. Any feedback is always welcome. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso, and this was the Prospect Podcast.